Hello, and welcome to the Salem on the Go podcast, a community of Christ followers that seeks the well-being of all people, a place where you can connect, commit, and continue to grow in your faith. Hymns are in many ways the oral history of our faith. Sometimes it's the timeless music of our predecessors that's just what our soul needs. In this new series, we'll delve into the history to take some of those classic, overlooked, and left-behind hymns and explore their meaning. So come along and join in as we start this brand new series, How Sweet This Sound. How many of you, this is a very important question, how many of you have one of these at home? We have, we have just a few. How many of you grew up with one of these? We got quite, quite a few more. We had one of these. How many of you don't know what this is? You don't know what this is? Okay, all right. So this is by far one of the most creepy things uh, that we have ever decided to give to infants and toddlers. Um, you know, I, I don't know if there's an age on this, um, but I decided to uh, 18 months plus. So if you're below 18 months, uh, we don't do it. I also would suggest that if you have heart problems, you also not play with this. Um, but just, I mean, just for a moment, let, let me just, okay. Did my son just break? Oh, there it goes. There. Just the opening chords there. Oh, this is like the worst horror film imaginable. And for those who are online, you don't have the view, but we've got all of these lined up in the altar out front. So it's just, right, and you don't know when it's coming. Like there's something that's going to happen here with old Jack, but it's just who knows when it's going to happen. And, and in fact, as I'm doing it, I'm kind of like, I'm prolonging things because I don't want this to pop in my face, to be honest with you. But you just keep going and you have no idea when it will happen or what will happen. But, oh, whoa, okay, so it just pops right out. Old Jack, like, gets you every single time, right? And we love to do this to children. Like, this is a funny idea to throw this out there. And, you know, for me, I was thinking about this. This is, maybe some of you don't have them. I know a lot of you said you don't have them, or maybe you didn't grow up. And, Hayden, I'm sorry that you were never exposed to this as an 18-month-old. Um, you missed something in your developmental trauma. Uh, as you were, Everybody needs a certain edge of trauma, you know, growing up. This is one of those positive traumas that you need in your life. But we don't ever really get away from this type of reality right here. In fact, I call this kind of the jump scare thing. Um, there are jump scare videos out nowadays. Anybody ever seen one of these, a jump scare video? A few of you have. How many have not seen one? We got a few. Okay, okay, all right. In just a minute, just brace yourself. Uh, I'll, I'll make sure to have one for you. I'll forewarn you again. If you have heart problems, you might want to leave the room. That's okay. Uh, but I, I, I ran across these jump scare videos when I was actually a high school teacher in New Jersey for a while. Um, and uh, I used to start my classes with high school students in a couple ways. I'd either play for them Jack Handy's Deep Thoughts, which you've never seen those. You should go watch a few of them this afternoon on YouTube. They're, they're perfect. Or I started doing these jump scare videos to make sure that there was a shot of adrenaline in their body so they wouldn't fall asleep on me. So I would start the video. And one of the ones that I found, in fact, the very first one that I ever found was a British car commercial. It's a, it's a jump scare. Uh, in fact, I have it. I'm not going to play it all the way. Danny, can you just play the first part? If you've never seen this jump scare, this is how the jump scare starts right here. Let's do Side. You have the beautiful countryside out here, just traveling along. It's absolutely beautiful as you go. 
And then everything starts to change. And of course, as I play this in my class, all the students within five minutes are already halfway asleep. But I didn't stop it, right? So are you okay if I don't stop it? I forewarned you already if you need to leave the room, do it. But Danny, all right, let's just play the full thing just to see where this lands with people. This is the jump scare tip. Now you know why I did not last very long at that high school. Um, so that's my, that's my testimony for how I came into ministry. Now, uh, so here, here's the thing. Here's the thing. This, this morning's hymn, it feels a lot like a jump scare. Now, I know you probably don't think it feels like a jump scare. In fact, I told Justin, I, I remember back when we did this Johnny Cash se- uh, series that I did years ago. The loudest this congregation ever got was when we sang Johnny Cash's version of that song right there. Like, people were so excited. It's just, it's a beautiful song we all sing to, and our minds kind of trip out on the fact that the the lyrics to this word, uh, or to this song, are bizarre. Like, it's just weird. One day I'll fly away. Like, one day I'll fly away, right? In fact, I thought, I asked Justin earlier, I'm like, Justin, if we could just change the tune, because the tune is, is harmful for us in terms of getting this. But instead of playing it in major chords, if you could play it in minor chords, let's just get a feel for what this song really is all about. Go ahead, let's see what we got here. And just imagine how you come into this space. It's no longer the joyous song you had. It just settles the entire mood. Everything changed. Now, this is, I'm waiting at any point in time for somebody to jump out at me at that point. And that's kind of the mood that we, we really should be feeling when we think about this song. As it says, some glad morning when this life is over, I'll fly away. I have no idea what, how we're going to do this, but I'll fly away to a home on God's celestial shore. Well, that sounds fine, but I'll fly away. Like, is this a plane? What is it? I'll fly away, oh glory, I'll fly away. And then it gets to the really weird line. It's like, when I die, hallelujah. Like, I'm just waiting for this to come. I'm like, no, that's really weird. Something bizarre. Is, can you imagine coming into a group of people? I'll turn around this way so that you get to the back. You've never been to church before in your life. People are like, when I die, hallelujah. Like, what is going on, right? This is bizarre. Something is wrong in this environment, and that is it. It is creepy with a capital C, and it's just like the jump scares that we have here, and, and I would say that even when it was written, even when it was written, it was written under a heaviness of the world. In fact, it was written early in the 1900s, 1929 to be exact, and so it's coming just on the other side of a very dark and troubled time. Right? It's coming just on the other side of the Great Depression. They're feeling all of this. And, and this song stuck with us. Because you and I have a fascination with jump scares in the world. That's what I'm convinced of. Like, it scared the snot out of you to watch that. But I bet you, you'll be watching that later. Because we have a fascination with it. We just want that to happen. And, and it, I believe this is true with this song. Because this song is the most recorded gospel song in the history of gospel music. Over 5,000 times it has been recorded and annotated as such, right? There may be other people who've recorded, but over 5,000 times this has been recorded, making it the most recorded gospel song of all time. And, I, you know, part of it, it's a catchy tune. It's fun. Everybody kind of sways back and forth. But it's more than that. I think that the message that is at the core of this song is what is ultimately contagious. That's what I'm going to argue for today. 
I'm going to suggest that the message behind this song is what makes it so contagious in our life. And here's why. It's two things. This song offers us hope for tomorrow, but it provides an urgency for today. A hope for tomorrow, but an urgency for today. And that combination right there is compelling. That combination of what hope can be in the future and urgency for how we live our lives today is not only compelling for you and I, it happens to be the most compelling thing that brought people into the Christian faith. For centuries, this is what made Christianity compelling. And unfortunately, this is one of the things that we're sliding away from. And it bothers me. This bothers me a lot. If I have any concern about the, the 21st century church, like it's right here. It's in this space, and it's, you know, this song talks about the rapture of the church, and I don't want you to get confused about what I mean when I say it bothers me. I'm not bothered if there's a variety of views on the rapture of the church. That doesn't bother me at all. There's been tons of those. I don't, I don't care if you buy into it or not. Here's what bothers me. The concept of, of this song, the rapture of the church, the, the hope for tomorrow that's there, it bothers me simply because we have not lived into the urgency for today. The hope that can be so compelling in our lives for tomorrow should produce within every single one of us as followers of Christ an urgency for today. And what I think has happened is we have lost that hope for tomorrow and in turn have lost our urgency for how we live our lives as followers of Christ today. And one of the primary markers of the early church, one of the primary markers of the first few centuries in the life of the church was this audacious hope. It was a hope beyond hope. It was this hope that would compel them to live their lives differently today because of what they could see tomorrow. They believed that God could change their tomorrow. Did God change every one of their tomorrows? Nope. Did that stop them and how they believed in the hope of transformation? Nope. They still believed it. They still believed that it could happen. And early followers of Christ were so bound by this hope for tomorrow that every time they greeted each other, they actually greeted each other with this word, with this hope for tomorrow and this audacious living for today, the way this transformed this urgency for today. And they did it through a single word, Maranatha. Maranatha. Now, Maranatha is a, it's a, a Aramaic word. Some of you may have heard this. It's been identified with church movements and things like that. But it's pretty noteworthy. It actually appears only one time in all of Scripture, and that's particularly noteworthy because it's a Greek New Testament and it's an Aramaic word that's showing up in it. But it shows up at the end of Paul's epistle to the Corinthian church. And here's what he says, 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 22, Let anyone be accursed who has no love for the Lord. Let this person be an anathema is the word that he uses there. Let them be accursed if they don't have any love for the Lord. But then he proceeds on on the opposite end of the spectrum, Maranatha. Now, what does he mean by Maranatha? He just throws this Aramaic word in the context of a Greek-speaking world. Well, the fact that he threw that Aramaic word in a Greek-speaking world would suggest to us that he probably did, or they probably did have some familiarity with it in terms of dialogue. They used it a lot. In fact, most people think that it was a greeting that Christians would offer to one another when they came. And so what does it mean? Well, it means simply this. Maranatha means our Lord come. But it doesn't just mean our Lord come or our Lord will come. It also means, and, and just with a slight shifting of the vowels, the, the emphasis on the vowels, it means our Lord has come. And they lived in that tension. It's not one way or the other. And, you know, we, in our minds, we want to kind of divide it out. Our, has it our Lord will come or is it our Lord has come? And they're like, it is. <laughs> it's both of those things. Our Lord will come. Our Lord has come. And every time we want to greet each other, we want to come up and be like, our Lord has come. Our Lord will come. Maranatha. 
This is how we kind of greet each other because we live in the context of that hope and we dive into it every day. And this is what's happening when we think about this song. One glad morning, all things will be overturned. There will be a hope-filled world and a hope-filled reality because our Lord has come into it. And early Christian disciples lived in this way. Christian disciples looked to the future with hope and they did it for one reason. Because our past was grounded in hope fulfilled. They could say our, our Lord is coming because they had already seen that our Lord has come. They had seen that at active in their life, and they lived between this tension of saying, yeah, our Lord has already come, so we know our Lord will come in the future. Our Lord has already come, he's died, he's suffered on the cross, and he's rose back from the dead. We know he's come in the past, now we know he will come in the future. We can be solid in that. Christian disciples could look to the future with hope because their past was grounded in hope fulfilled. Because their Lord had already come, they can see that their Lord is coming. And if a man, a man like Jesus, can successfully predict his death, crucifixion, and resurrection, guess what? I'm going to stand with him. Like, it just makes sense to be with him, to partner with him, and to live our lives with him. I'm going to be right there. And so Jesus' resurrection was the first sign of this hope. It transformed the world around us. We saw that that hope could be real. If he was resurrected from the dead, then we can have that hope that one day we'll be resurrected. And it's in that space of fulfilled hope for early Christians that was the catalyst for upending the entire first century world. But here's what happened. It happened, I know this is going to come as a shock, but as things progressed on through the decades of the first century and more and more Christians came to faith, guess what happened to those Christians who started in the faith. They died. One right after the other, they started dying. And not only did they die of natural causes, but it seemed like more and more people were upset and frustrated with Christianity. And so they were killed and they were martyred. And as time went on, something happened in the mood of the congregation. where They were like, I don't understand this. Our hope was supposed to be fulfilled. Things were supposed to be different. Our anticipation of hopes that have been much larger that Jesus would return and rescue us and, and raise us from the dead. And it's the weight of that reality right there that the church in Thessalonica is wrestling with. They're frustrated in this moment. And I'm sure that many of us can identify with them in this way, this, this moment in our life where we had just anticipated that our hope would be fulfilled in a different way and it didn't come. And we wrestle with the incongruity of that life. We wanted things this way. We wanted our life to look this way. We wanted to uh, have our family set up in this particular dynamic, and it's not happening that way, and it doesn't function that way. And that frustrates us to no end. Because we came into this faith with a hope in the future, grounded in a hope that had already been fulfilled, but these two worlds seem very, very far apart. And as Paul starts to talk to the church in Thessalonica, this is exactly where he begins he starts to speak to them and he speaks into the space and he wants to offer them pastoral advice. And I want you to hear me say that because that's exactly what Paul is doing. Paul is first and foremost trying to offer comfort to the congregation who is hurting. He's not just trying to settle everything eschatologically or he's not trying to settle everything about the end of times and tell you exactly how it's going to be. That's not Paul's agenda here. Paul's doing something entirely different here. And listen to how he starts this. He goes, but I don't want you to be uninformed. I want you to have the full information because right now you're hurting because you aren't fully informed, brothers and sisters. And so I want you to have the full information at hand so that you can fully understand what has happened with those who have died. So I don't want you to uh, be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about those who had died so that you may not grieve 
We're all going to grieve, right? He doesn't let us off the hook. You and I, we're all going to grieve in life. That's going to be a part of our life, whether it's grief at death of someone in our life or if it's grief of something in our life. It could be a job, could be some sort of marriage, it could be some sort of relationship at large. We face grief in life, and Paul doesn't want to let us off the hook. You will grieve, but I don't want you to grieve, what does he say? The way the rest of the world grieves. I don't want you to be uninformed so that you may not grieve as others do who have no what? What's the word? Let me hear it. Hope. That's right. You have hope. Brothers and sisters in Christ, you have a hope of things in the future, but you also have hope because it was fulfilled in the past. This is who you are. And you hold on to that hope, Paul says. This is why I want you to be aware of what's going on. And Paul goes on to describe how our hope might be fulfilled in the final resurrection. And I'm going to read the next three verses, right one right after the other. I know Hayden read all of this to us earlier, but I just want you to hear how Paul describes this certain moment in the future. He says, For this we declare to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will by no means precede those who have died. What's he saying here? What does this mean? It says the living don't have priority over the dead. There's no ranking system in terms of how this works. The dead will be raised as well. In fact, the dead will be raised first, as he goes on to say in the next couple of verses. He he then proceeds to tell us how Christ's coming will be. For the Lord himself, with a cry of command, with the archangel's call, and with the sound of God's trumpet, Right, this is, these are the images that get picked up on in the song that we sung. We'll descend from heaven and the dead in Christ will rise first. Don't worry about them. I know you're worried about them. Don't worry. Those who have passed on from this life are not forgotten by God, but they too will be raised up in the air. And then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up in the clouds together with them to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. I'll fly away, O glory. I'll fly away, right? This is that moment. This is that moment of I'll fly away. When I die, hallelujah, by and by, I'll fly away. I'll be reconnected with Christ. And this is the scriptural centerpiece for our hymn today. This is where it comes from. This is sort of the core of what's happening. And and I want to be honest. It's easy for you and I to get wrapped up on those center three verses and forget the sandwich that's on the edges. The real thrust of why Paul would have written this down in the first place. Because why Paul wrote it down is, is, is just as meaningful, if not more meaningful for us in how we live our life than what happens in the center. And, and I, what I want to suggest is if you just look at verse 18, you'll see this. He says, so here's what I want you to do. Brothers and sisters, when you have lost someone and it's hard for you to hold on to your hope, I want you to encourage one another with these words right here. I want you to remind one another and encourage one another to lift up their heads I want you to take care of one another when that happens because there is a great resurrection of the dead. There is a moment where Christ comes back. And I know, and this is what the, the, the church of Thessalonica was struggling with. They felt like because their loved ones had passed away and their bodies were deteriorating in the ground, that God couldn't piece that back together. And that's where they were struggling. They were like, what do you mean? If there's going to be a resurrection, we need to be raised up in our bodies and they're all together. And my loved one, well, they were lost at sea. And my loved one, well, they were beheaded. And I don't even know if the body pieces are together. And this one, they've been, de- they've been dead for decades and de- decades and their body is deteriorated. Is it possible for Christ to raise them back from the dead? Is that a reality? And Paul says, I want to encourage you with this. I want you, I want you to be encouraged. It doesn't matter how long. It doesn't matter in what way. It doesn't matter how you have lost. Be encouraged that God will come back and he will not forget the dead things in your life. 
He will not forget the broken relationships in your life. He will not forget those who have fallen from you in your life. He will not forget those who you grieve in this life. He will not forget those things that bring you down and bring death back into your life as reminders over and over again. He will raise all these things up at the end of time, and he will bring all dead things back to life. That's what Paul says. And every single time you look around and you see a brother and sister in Christ who's discouraged, who's lost sight of this, who's struggling to hold on to hope, I want you to be the bridge of hope for them. I want you to tell them. I want you to encourage them in this way. Are we, you know, I, you know in this moment, is this, is this moment whenever Jesus comes back, is it going to be like a left behind moment? You know, like planes are going to be crashing because one is there and one's gone. I don't know. I don't know. But, but according to what Paul is saying here, I just want you to find encouragement when you're discouraged. I'm not going to answer all your questions about how this takes place. Is it going to be like a zombie apocalypse and like bodies are just going to crawl out of the grave and start? Well, I don't know. I'm not sure what will happen. I mean, that would be really cool if it did. And I hope that he leaves me here just long enough to start seeing that or at least be near a graveyard when it happens. But I don't know. Some of y'all live close to a graveyard. It's going to be weird if that happens with y'all. I don't know if that's how it'll happen. But Paul, Paul doesn't care. He's not trying to argue out details with you. What he's trying to suggest to you is that you can find encouragement when hope is lost. I want to encourage you to remember Maranatha, right? Our Lord is coming. Why? Because our Lord has already come, Paul says. And you can live in this even on the hardest days of your life. I want you to believe, Paul says, that your hope can be fulfilled. Your life can be changed. I want you to know that God can bring those dead things back to life. He can bring those things back to life in your own. And I want you to know this for yourself, but I want you to encourage one another in this way as well. And the reason I want us to remember this, it's how I started. It's because our hope for tomorrow is the thing that creates an urgency for today. It creates transformation in our society. It creates transformation in your personal life. You will live under the conviction that we can be different if you have a hope that is different. If you lose sight of this hope, then it's going to be very hard for you to imagine that your life can change, that your society can change, that your family can change, that your networks can change, that the system that you work in can change. It'll be difficult to imagine that because you don't have the hope for tomorrow to create the urgency for today. And Paul says we need both of these in order to live in this moment. We need both of those things to crash down around us. And here's the thing. I think that's why this song became so popular. I do. It is a catchy tune. I love it. You know, everybody's like, you can hear it immediately. As soon as that song, Methodists who don't clap are like, I'm going to clap even if it's offbeat. I don't care. I don't know what it is, but I'm going to do it. Right? It's, it's amazing. We want that in our lives. It's a great tune. But what we want more than anything is the hope that it talks about. That's what you and I really want. That's how you and I really want to live. We want to live into that hope. And that, of course, is what Albert Brumley wanted as well. Albert Brumley was born in 1905, ultimately. And uh, in the early decades of his life, if you know anything about American history, he, w- he was born in Oklahoma, so he was right there in the middle of it. Spiro, Oklahoma, I think, is where he was born. He was born in this terrible time in our history. I mean, he lived in the first 20 years of his life, he lived through some terrible things, right? Lived through World War I. He experienced the pandemic of 1918. In fact, he lost his older brother when he was just five years of age. Um, and personally, he grew up in extreme poverty. He grew up as a farmer, um, you know, and a sharecropper in this environment, so he just had to kind of get, get what he could get, and his family had to get what he could get. And in the 20s, what was happening in his life is he has experienced all this pain, all this sadness, all this, all this sort of, uh, you know, turmoil with the world at large and the world locally. 
And he's standing in the middle of a cotton field one day picking cotton. And some of you may know this song, but he was in the middle of the cotton field singing this, this older song, If I Had Wings Like an Angel, right? And as he's singing this song, he started imagining himself flying away from the existence of the world as he knew it. His, his mind started kind of blowing up, saying, if I could just have wings to fly away, I'll fly away. And that started bubbling up inside of him, this desire to sort of rise above the circumstances of his life, the pain, the sadness, the hardship, all of those things. And that moment right there gave rise to these lyrics right here. He says that's the longing that he wanted in his life. And this is the longing that I would argue that rests within all of us, a living hope that the gospel provides that will help us face the power of death every single day. And here's what it does. If you have that sort of object, say, I want to, want to rise to be with you, Christ. I know that there will be a day when all things will be changed. I know I live into that. I don't have to have all the answers about how that can happen. But if I can live into that hope, here's what you and I can live into right now. An urgency to see that transformation now, right? I want to see it right now. I, I, this is how it works. I, you know, if we start, if we know we're going to go on vacation in a few months or something like that, we start to live that way, right? I'm like walking around with my shorts. I'm like, yeah, I know it's 32 degrees. I don't care. I'm going to be on the beach in like three months, right? We start to live in a different way, right? Some of you, I, I know you do this, right? You're going to the beach in a few months. You're going to go get the spray tan. You'll look like a carrot for a few weeks. It's okay. But you're going to get ready right now. That's right? so what you do. Why? Because your hope for the future creates an urgency for today. I see this all the time with couples who are going to get married. We're like, we got a countdown going on, right? You got the countdown going on. I got it going up. I'm going to be married in 456 days. I'm like, I don't care, but that's cool, right? This hope for tomorrow creates an urgency for today. I can't take my mind off of it. I can't stop thinking about it. I'll shift the way that I live my life. I'll endure the hardship. I'll, uh, I'll undergo all the pressure of this current moment, making sure that everything's ready for tomorrow. That's important. As important as it is in this world, it's just as important when it comes to your faith that you hold on to the hope for tomorrow so that it creates the urgency for today. There will be a day when we're in the presence of God. There will be a day when all tears will be wiped away. There'll be no more pain. There'll be no more heartache. There'll be no more sickness or disease. No more death. No more racism. No more poverty. No more shame. No more hatred. None of those things. And we will stand in the presence of God, fully made whole in that space. Paul says, I want to encourage you with these words. That will be our reality. But encourage each other so that you can live your lives today. Maranatha, I know your king is coming soon because your king has already come. I know that there will be no more pain and no more sadness and all of those things in the presence of a good God in the future. But I know you can start to experience that right now because our Christ has already come. There can be hope for tomorrow, but today is an opportunity for you to share God's love. Today is an opportunity for you to start sharing that grace. Today is an opportunity for you to say, hey, it'll be 456 days before I'm with, with my king, right? Whatever you want to say, I don't care. Don't do that, that's weird. There's a way in which you can live into that urgency today. And in fact, there's, there's three ways that I just want to leave you with really, really quickly. When you live with the urgency for today, you're going to do three things. You won't let words be unsaid. You won't let deeds be undone. And you won't let your hope be unshared. That's it. If you can start living with the urgency of today, knowing that tomorrow is coming, you're not going to let words be unsaid in your life. You won't let deeds be undone in your life. And you won't let your hope be unshared. You will share. 
And some of you might be in that space even now. Some of you have words that you need to say, words of encouragement to somebody that you've not offered. You know you should. You know they've been going through a hard time. You know they've struggled in so many ways. And you just need to offer those words of encouragement. Some of you need that love to give and to express to others. Some of you might need to offer forgiveness to someone. Those are words that need to be said because it's like poison to you that you're drinking over and over again. And you need to offer those words of forgiveness. Don't don't wait for tomorrow. You don't have the promise of tomorrow, right? You You don't know if you'll get that tomorrow. Live with the urgency today. Live with it right now. Let your words lift others, give life to others, give hope to others, speak truth to others. Let your words do that. Time is short, so don't let your words go unsaid, but also don't let your deeds go undone. You see, God has created each and every one of you as this beautiful creation, a masterpiece of God. And Paul says in Ephesians that we each one are created for good works that he has established in heaven. That's that's what you're you're made to do. And each of us have a different set of good works that we can do and how we can live into them. But in light of the urgency for today, don't let your good deeds go undone. Do them. Do it now participate in that way now and live into that knowing that your time is short so don't let your words be unsaid don't let your deeds be undone and don't let your hope be unshared i know some of you and i've walked with some of you in some of the hopeless most hopeless situations of your life i know that and you've lived you've lived through it and on the other side of that hard scenario guess what god does inside of us God places a hope that we can share. God places a hope that can be renewed for someone else. And it's up to us to share that with others. It's up to us to give that to others. And so let's not wait. Let's not hold that back. But let's share that hope that God has given birth inside of us too. Let's give it to others around us. So since time is short, let me just encourage you once more. Don't let your words be unsaid. Don't let your deeds be undone. And don't let your hope be unshared. Over the next few minutes, Justin's going to sing one final song to us. Our ushers are going to come, give us an opportunity to worship God in our giving. And as they do, I want you to wrestle with that final point. As they sing this closing song, what is God's Spirit asking of you today? Are there some words in your life that need to be said? You've held your tongue. You've held back and offering it. Maybe you just didn't feel like you were the right person or it wasn't the right time. Are there words that need to be said? Are there deeds that need to be done right now? You need to fulfill those those deeds. You need to live into that, that calling that God has placed on your heart. Are those, those things, or is there hope? You didn't think it was hope when it came because it seemed hopeless. It seemed like a hopeless situation that you were living into, but now you know there's hope that's inside of you and it's just waiting to be shared with someone else who's going through a hopeless situation. Would you stand with me? Gracious God, we thank you for the hope. The hope that is waiting in front of us in our soon coming King. But God, we also thank you today that it's a hope that we don't just wait for, but it's one that has already been lived into as Christ came, died, and rose from the dead. 
And gracious God, as we stand as a people of hope, ready to engage your world with grace and love, I ask, Spirit of God, over the next few minutes that you would just speak tenderly to each of our hearts. Let us know those places in our lives where words have gone unsaid where we should have said them. Let us know those places in our lives where deeds have gone undone where we should do them. Let us know those places in our lives where a hope that was born out of pain and sadness needs to be shared with someone who faces those same situations. Give birth to those things, give rise to those things today, and help us to live into those things as we recommit ourselves to you. Now, God, we ask that as we close our time in worship today, not only in song, but also in giving, that you would bless us, that you would help us to give and to give beyond these walls in a way that would bring meaning and transformation to the world around us. And we thank you for it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. Ushers, would you come and serve us?